0: Only to state the obvious here today is that I'm old. And so what a better place to preach from than the Old Testament. Almost 30 years ago, a surgeon explained to me of, well, he was so proud of it, how he hid the incision that he made in my neck, I don't know, six inches long, how he hid it in a wrinkle. And he was so proud of that. Well, God's made so many more hiding places over the last 30 years. And Pastor John, I miss him dearly. He's on vacation. And he's always joking about my plastic surgeon and maybe I should find a better one. And, and so, because he's not here, I can tell you a lawyer joke. Do you know how lawyers say goodbye I'll be suing you <laughs> all kidding aside I counted a true privilege to be in front of you today and to encourage you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ if you are here today and you don't know him my prayer has been as I studied that the context and the contrast of what we are looking at this morning may cause you to examine your own heart. So before we start, let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we are are here today to worship you, to bring glory to your holy name in song and with the absolute truth of your word, May you enable me to speak clearly and that you would give those before me ears to hear your truth. May we be able to leave here today better than when we arrived because of the work of the Holy Spirit upon our hearts this day. We ask your blessing now upon us all. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be looking... At Psalm 1 today, and so in your reading of the Psalms, have you ever considered just how old they are? Have you ever contemplated just how many times over the years that they have been read or sung? I feel quite young when I think of Psalm 90, written by Moses. The oldest psalm, it's 3,483 years old. Even the newest psalm, Psalm 126, yeah, it's older than me. 2,610 years young. So when you think of 873 years between the oldest and the newest, it's amazing of what God has done in giving us this book of psalms. Now, not to go off the berm and through the guardrail and get into the weeds, but what is the main object of the book of Psalms? The main object of the Psalms is to bring glory to God in the edification of his church. Martin Luther would summarize the purpose of the Psalms in this way, and I quote, We must not simply read or sing the Psalms, as if they did not concern us. But we must read and sing them for this purpose, that we may be improved by them, may have our faith strengthened and our hearts comforted amid all sorts of necessities. For the psalter is nothing else than a school and an exercise for our heart and mind to the end that we may have our thoughts and inclinations turned into the same channel so that he reads the Psalter without spirit who reads it without faith and understanding end quote we could look at the history of the Psalms that in the Septuagint Psalms 1 and 2 were considered one psalm and we could look at the debate of was David the author of Psalm 1 or Ezra? There are many scholars that agree with certainty that David wrote Psalm 1, which could be added to the other 73 psalms attributed to him. You can look this up if you want some homework, but in Acts 4, 24 to 26, the author of Psalm 2 is attributed to David. David. I don't have a lot of letters after my name. I'm not highly educated. I have a Jr. after my name. I'm a junior. But common sense tells me that if David wrote half the book of Psalms, one of his would be first or be the preface, if you will, of this book. And Psalm 1 and 2 are a preface of the rest of the book. So before I read this psalm to you, the first psalm, that it is from the largest book of the Bible, and when you think of all the Old Testament books, it is the most frequently quoted in the New Testament. To think that the Jewish rabbis would refer to it as the book of praises, and so as we have hymn books to sing from, that we sang from this morning. So these psalms would have been ancient Israel's hymn book, if you will. So there is a little background, but not too much, as to make you sleepy. Now in my Bible, Psalm 1 has the title, The Righteous and the Wicked Contrasted. Please follow along as I read Psalm 1. And in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. But they are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. In verse 1 here, we notice how blessed is the man. The word translated blessed, blessed, is in the Hebrew plural. While While the word rendered man is singular, the blessings and mercies of the man of God are immeasurable. They are unnumbered. And so these blessings are not available to all men, Only the regenerate, only the man or the woman chosen by God. The man of God here is blessed. He is more than just happy. He is full of joy. Irregardless of the afflictions or trials that he has endured, this man is enjoying God's blessings. Those of today and the ones God is holding For his future. This blessedness is a joy of the heart. It's a supernatural joy. It's not a a surfy happiness. It's not a happiness of circumstances. But a joy in knowing the Lord. This blessed man or woman is born again. They have a supernatural joy. That is not found anywhere else. This is the man spoken of in Ezekiel 36 whose heart of stone has been removed and replaced with a heart of flesh. This man who has been washed and given a new spirit, the Spirit of God. This man is blessed to have been chosen by God and has a newness of heart that is only obtainable by trusting in Christ alone, through faith alone, by grace alone. Now Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are, are quite evang- evangelical. And as I said earlier, back in the day, they were considered one psalm. Now not to jump ahead, but at the end of Psalm 2, and no, we're not going to get that far today, we again see this word blessed. Psalm 2.12. Do homage to the Son that he not become angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. So we see the correlation between the two psalms, and that it is in Christ that we find our refuge. It is in Christ that this blessed man finds joy and peace and righteousness and grace and comfort, it is by trusting in Christ that this blessed man will take refuge from the wrath to come. Now there are those today who want us to believe that we should just unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. That the Old Testament is just the backstory. they would say. Well, the evidence for Christ in these two Psalms... And all of the Old Testament, for that matter, is overwhelming. They were looking forward to the Messiah in the Old Testament. And we are looking back at the cross, at his resurrection, at his ascension. God's covenant of grace is all through the Old Testament for us to see and to ponder and to examine. Martin Luther said when we're reading the Old Testament... That we should be like the shepherds. Like they were when they went to Bethlehem looking for Jesus. When you read the Old Testament, do you read it that way? Are you looking for Christ? We see that Psalm 1 starts out with this word blessed, as does Jesus in his teaching from what I read earlier for our Scripture reading, from the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. Oh, the blessedness, oh, the joy in a man who is depending upon the mercies of God. The contrast of the blessed man, the righteous man, the joyful man in verses 1 through 3 of Psalm 1 and the wicked man is shown in verses 4 and 5. David the psalmist is making it clear to us that in God's eyes, There are only two kinds of people in the world. It's not not like Baskin-Robbins where there are 31 flavors. There are two spiritual categories. There are two groups of people, the righteous and the wicked. That's it. Two flavors of people. It's like the, the free ice cream machine on the cruise ship. If you've ever been on a cruise ship, I couldn't get away from it. Every time you go by, you can get an ice cream. And I just kept walking back and forth. Grab a cone, get some ice cream. But all they had were chocolate and vanilla. Even though it was free, that's all they had. That's it. Two types, two groups, two kinds. Well, you ponder that there are only two groups of people. I must ask before I move forward, which group would you place yourself in today? I must ask, do you truly know Jesus Christ? If chocolate is the blessed group and vanilla is the wicked group, which flavor are you? It's not like the Dairy Queen. You can't be a twist. You are one or the other. It's it's that simple. Are you the blessed man or woman? Or are you the one walking, standing, and sitting with the wicked? The contrast here in this psalm is so plain to see. There is no middle ground. There is no straddling the fence. There is no lukewarmness. So all I must do, what any good truck driver does, is check my side mirrors. Look at what's behind me. I was trained to look at those mirrors every five to seven seconds. All day long. And so, I look at my life, B.C., before Christ. And I see the wicked desires of my heart and mind. I, I grew up in a home that walked stood and sat with the wicked. My parents had no concern for the things of God or Jesus' son. This is where I formerly lived. And I know I've used this scripture before from when I've filled in. But Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, man was I dead, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But I've been made alive by faith in Jesus Christ. If you are a young person here today, and you have God-fearing parents who know Jesus Christ as their Savior, make sure you thank God every day for them. As well as the things. That God has kept you from growing up in a godly home with godly parents. Oh, if I would have grown up that way. But I wasn't born into a neutral position, and neither were you. All of us were born under the curse of Adam. Because of Adam's sin, we followed under him as our federal head. The psalmist makes it clear that we have the blessed and the wicked. And so to better emphasize this point, to see that there are only two camps, two flavors of people in this world, I'm going to quote A.W. Pink today. And he, he wrote, When Adam stood in Eden as a responsible being before God, he stood there as a federal head, as the legal representative of all his posterity. Hence, when Adam sinned, all for whom he was standing are accounted as having sinned. Where he fell, all whom he represented fell. When he died, they died. So too was it with Christ. When he came to this earth, he too stood in a federal relationship to his own people and when he became obedient unto death all for whom he was acting were accounted righteous when he rose again from the dead all whom he represented rose with him when he ascended on high they were regarded as ascending with him and then pink uses this verse from first corinthians fifteen twenty two For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. He goes on to say the relationship of our race to Adam or Christ divides men into two classes, each receiving nature and destiny from its respective head. All the individuals who who comprise these two classes are so identified with their heads that it has justly been said there have been but two men in the world and two facts in history. These two men are Adam and Christ. The two facts are the disobedience of the former by which many were made sinners and the obedience of the latter by which many were made righteous. By the former came ruin, by the latter came redemption, and neither ruin nor redemption can be scripturally apprehended, except as they are seen to be accomplished by those representatives. And except we understand the relationships expressed by being in Adam and in Christ. End quote. So we were born wicked sinners in Adam, but we are justified by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone who is the second Adam if you are here today trusting in the finished work of Christ you are truly a blessed man or woman now remember as we examine Psalm 1 we're we're like those shepherds looking for Jesus we know that Jesus is the only man Who could fulfill the first three verses of Psalm 1 perfectly? Therefore, we can rest in His perfect righteousness that has been imputed to us to believe. Our wickedness, our sin, imputed to Him. His righteousness imputed to us. What a transfer. What a transfer. We see in verse 1 the things that the blessed The blessed man, the joyous man, the godly man does not do. He doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. So who would you consider to be in the top three of wicked men that you know? Yeah, I used to be a wicked sinner, and I didn't know I was a sinner. I'm still a sinner. But saved by God's grace. I've never walked on a sidewalk with... I grew up watching O.J. Simpson play football for Southern California. I never walked on a path with Barack Hussein Obama or even George Soros. Nor would I ask these wicked men for counsel, even if that was possible. The counsel of the wicked in this verse is a term used to denote... Not merely his advice, but his aims, his his principles, and his practices as well. You see, this walking is not talking about the casual. Let's go for a walk. They're not on the boardwalk taking a stroll. But a man's walk is the course and direction of his life. I truly wouldn't ask these three men for direction because of their wicked ways. Now, I'm not advocating that we're not to be a witness for Christ to wicked people. Or any others for that matter. For Jesus himself spent time talking with IRS, I mean tax collectors, And even harlots. Trying to help them see their sinful ways. We are clearly called to be salt and light in a dark and decaying world. I learned a new word. Chillax. i would never heard it before. And I'm like, chillax? What's chillax? Well, I'm not going to chillax with these people. It means to chill and relax. So they put chill and relax together, and it's chillax. I thought it was something you took if you had an upset stomach or something. So I don't want these wicked people. I'm not going to invite them over and, and, and spend the evening with them on my deck. Or or meet them in Salem at Pop's for breakfast. This this blessed man, this righteous man or woman, hates sin, doesn't want to be irreverent towards God, and so he or she does not want to walk, does not want to chillax with these wicked people. Next, the psalmist says, Nor stand in the path of sinners. Now, if you know me, I'm no linguist. But in the Hebrew language, to stand in someone's path or way is translated into English as to walk in their shoes. Or to do just as they do. Some people would say, you know, walk a mile in their moccasins. Another example of what not to do is also written down for us in another book in the Bible of contrasts, Written by the smartest man of the Old Testament, David's son Solomon. You, you don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. One short verse, Proverbs 4.14. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not proceed in the way of evil men. Don't join in with them. Don't, don't keep company with them. Do not set one foot in the path that they tread. Pay attention, young people. We have some young people here. Praise God. One step with the wicked of this world, and the next thing you know, you are only tempted with even more ungodliness. The proverb says, do not proceed. Once you start in their way, you don't know where it will stop. Withdraw at once. Don't go on. I had a record till I was 18. I'm not proud of that. I'm telling you because I entered the, their path and continued with them in their evil ways. Withdraw at once. Do not go on. I didn't know Christ then. No one told me what would happen. Young people, I'm telling you. Don't go on. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15.33, Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. To put it another way, if you lie down or if you run with dogs, you're going to wake up with fleas. They're going to have an effect on you if you're running with them all the time. The end of verse 1 says, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. We, we don't tend to use that word much today, do we? I, I haven't heard anyone say, boy, that, that Jim Bob sure is a scoffer. <laughs> what is a scoffer? It's someone that uses words or actions to show his contempt. It actually combines bitterness with ridicule. Today we might call a scoffer, a harasser, a heckler, or someone who mocks others. I've been mocked by my relatives for my faith in Christ. And coworkers. when I worked, they made fun of me for having a Bible in my truck. Easy stuff. And so to sit with these mockers and laugh at their words is not what the blessed man does. Noah talked about it in Sunday school this morning and how our pride can cause us to do things. We're called to be humble. The blessed man doesn't laugh at their dirty jokes or participate with them in putting others down. The blessed man doesn't make fun of his brothers. The blessed man wants nothing to do with them. But we see these people all around us, do we not? We have scoffers in the highest offices in our land today. Many are on television telling us this is what the news is. And then there's the person down the road with their pride flag. They are the reprobate part of mankind. They resist and want nothing to do with God's grace and mercy. Their father is the devil. Evil is on the increase, and that's what they're all about. What used to be hidden in the closet is now being strutted down our streets in parades of sinfulness. is being put in front of children in schools as being normal as being okay they mock anyone they scoff anyone who calls out their sinful ways even though they are an abomination towards a thrice holy god satan is crafty the father of lies and we see here how little by little He induces men and women to turn from the right path, to turn from the narrow path. At first step, they don't advance to a total contempt of God, but as they listen to evil counsel, Satan leads them, step by step, farther away, until they rush, head first into sin. First they walk, Then they stand, and finally they sit with devil's children. They are marked in the New Testament as well. Jude 1, 4. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness, and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So in this first verse of Psalm 1, we see what this blessed man, this righteous man, this God-fearing man, what this happy man shuns, as he rejects evil thoughts and desires. He rejects what the culture embraces. The same attitude is described in Jeremiah's prayer to the Lord, in Jeremiah fifteen seventeen, I did not sit in the circle of merrymakers, nor did I exult because of your hand upon me. I sat alone, for you filled me with indignation. Jeremiah wasn't embracing the culture in which he was living either. How about you? Do you love the things of the world more than the things of God? Pastor Joel preached on this verse last week. It's a good reminder. It's a good reminder for us. 1 John 2 15. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So, where is your affection today? I know you're sitting here, you're in church. Most of you are awake. But where is your affection the rest of the week? We have seen in verse 1 what the blessed man doesn't do. The psalmist has shown us the negative side. And now in verse 2 and 3 we are shown the positive side of his character. In the second verse, the character of the blessed man, the righteous man, is described by two positive qualities. The first is that his pleasure, his delight, his joy, is not in the things and activities of the world, but in the study of the law of the Lord. The word law in this verse is translated from the word Torah, which means direction, teaching, instruction, doctrine, and yes, law, God's word. Well, he is not under the law as a curse of condemnation because we know, Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation for those in Jesus Christ. But this blessed man is in it, and he delights to be in it. God's word is, is, is the rule of his life. The law or truth of God is not distasteful to him, but he so delights in it as to desire to become more and more acquainted with it and to have its truths impressed more and more and more and more upon his heart. It is the blessed man's road map of life. Because of all my miles behind a windshield, I relate some things in life to driving. And everyone is traveling somewhere on their road to life. It's like getting on the turnpike. Uh, Nobody's in the third lane in neutral. If you are, you're going to get rear-ended. Everyone is in drive or in 15th gear. They got the pedal to the metal. They're going somewhere. But from where are you getting your directions as you travel? If you're old like me, in the past, you would have got a trip ticket at the AAA for directions. (laughs) I don't know if anybody does anymore. Uh, Today, you might ask Surrey or get on Google Maps to find your way. The psalmist here in verse 2 is receiving his directions, if you will, from the law of the Lord, from Yahweh, not from the counsel of the wicked in verse 1. Besides, these people would be traveling in the opposite direction anyhow. His road map is the law of the Lord, which would have been at that time the Mosaic law or the Pentateuch, which would have been the first five books of what is our Old Testament today. And here we are. We have the full counsel of God in our hands to carry with us, to read whenever we want. Now the second positive quality of this blessed man's life is that he meditates upon God's truth day and night. This isn't something he just does on Sunday. But every day he endeavors to understand its meaning. He has pleasure in reflecting on it. It is not a subject which he puts away from him or in respect to which he is indifferent, but he keeps it before his mind and has satisfaction in doing it. In modern English, to meditate is to, to engage in focused thought. <laughs> the older I get, the harder it is to have focused thought, but you know what I'm saying. I checked with some of the old dead guys, and George Swinnick has said, and I quote, our design and meditation must be rather to cleanse our hearts than to clear our heads. George helps us to see that it truly is an issue of the heart, and that our hearts can rest knowing Jesus kept the law perfectly for us. This blessed man in chapter one is, is a he's born again. His heart's been changed. He isn't the same person he used to be. You can talk to Lynette. She'll tell you who I used to be. This man wasn't born with this gift, this delight to study and meditate upon God's Word. He is no longer walking, standing, or sitting with the wicked of verse 1. This is a transformed man. This blessed man approaches God's Word with a cheerful heart and a cheerful mind. Are you cheerful today? Christians shouldn't look like somebody just told them their mother-in-law was coming to spend the summer with them. If anybody should have joy on her face, it should be us. This blessed man is the man from Colossians. Could we not be in church and talk about Colossians? Colossians 3 that the pastor John preached about. This is the man in Colossians 3, 9 that laid aside the old self with its evil practices. And in verse 10, and have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. This is what Christ did for me. This blessed man is relying on God's word for every aspect of his life, all day, every day, and all night as well. To use another verse from the Old Testament, to compound our understanding of Psalm 1, and that David would have known of God's charge to Joshua, in Joshua one eight, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Is that word meditate? So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Sounds a lot like Psalm 1, verses 2 and 3, does it not? And to think that they want to do away with the Old Testament. Remember from the start I said that there are only two types of people in God's eyes the blessed and the wicked. you've taken the time to be here today. But through the week, do you take the time to meditate upon God's law, upon his word, like the blessed man in Psalm 1? The meditation of the blessed man in verse 2 is more than just head knowledge. It has been transferred to his heart as well. I know this is a busy and frantic world we live in, especially for you young people. I've always had a heart for young people because no one seemed to have a heart for me when I was a young person. Very few. One of them I married. This old man right here is is telling you young people to take time to meditate upon God's word every day. The end of verse 2 says day and night. Now, like you, this blessed man wasn't sitting in his room all day, every day, meditating on God's word 24-7. No. But when he had leisure time from the duties of his life, and he had a lot more duties than we have, we just go and turn the faucet and the water comes on. He was meditating upon the things of God found in his word, found in the law of God's word. So what do you think about in the middle of the night when you can't sleep? What do you ponder in your mind when your mind is in neutral? What do you think about when you put the gear shift into neutral and pull down the handbrake because you know it's a long time stoplight? Or a railroad crossing and the train is moving this fast? What do you think about? We delight in what we desire. And the blessed man delighted in God's word. What do you think about when your life's in neutral? Maybe it's a baseball game, football game. Maybe it's golf. For someone here, might be finances and the next stock purchase. Maybe it's your dog or your cat that fills your idle mind or it could be that new truck that you've been looking at on your phone for hours at a time what we love we love to think about it convicted me what's on your mind solomon addresses this issue in proverbs twenty three seven for as he thinks in himself so He is. We are what we think. Someone has said, you are not what you think you are, but what you think you are. Now, we all have outside interests in this life, but at times, or all of the time, they can push meditating upon his word into the corner, out of the way, Someone here might even say, but you don't understand my day. You don't understand all that I'm responsible for. So I challenge you to wait. Please, please, please wait. Don't get your phone out now. Please wait. Until you get home and open up the settings on your phone and look at it where it says screen time. And look at your average screen time for the day or for the week. I mean, you had time for TikTok. You had time for Twitter. I mean, three hours on YouTube. Now try to tell yourself that you have no time to meditate, no time to ponder the truth of his word. In what do you find delight? What do you meditate on day and night? How often in a day are your thoughts God's thoughts? How often? To close today, we're not going to get to verse 3. That'll be the next time. <laughs> we must look back at our blessed man in Psalm 1. His thoughts are always going back to thinking God's thoughts. This man didn't have it as easy as we do, as we have the whole canon of Scripture at our fingertips. Yeah, even on our phones. How much of the screen time is in the study Bible on your phone? Uh, I'm not trying to beat you up. I, I looked at mine and I was like, man. How am I going to tell him this? Every time I go golfing and I spend four hours, I'm convicted if I didn't spend four hours meditating upon his word. He don't care about my golf game. He could care less. He wants me to know him better today than I knew him yesterday. He didn't have a copy of the Pentateuch to take home and study. But what he heard read in the temple and took home with him in his heart and in his mind, what his parents had taught him was likely all that he had. Even for us English-speaking folks, 500 years ago, we would have had no Bible to read even though Tyndale was working on it. Oh, how blessed we are to have his word in our own language, in our hands to read, to meditate on, whenever it is our delight. I stand here as a blessed man today. Because of Christ, I am satisfied and I am content. Because he never walked in the counsel of the wicked for me. He never stood in the path of sinners for me. He never sat with the scoffers for me, but he delighted in the law always for me. And most of all, he died and arose for me. And he sits at my Father's right hand interceding for me. I'm a blessed man. If you're in the wrong camp today, if you long to have a joy, a peace that passes all understanding, you need Jesus Christ. I don't know your heart, but God does. I would challenge you to turn to him today. (laughs) Cry to him for his mercy. He loves to give it out. I'm a receiver.